0: Hello everyone, good morning, good evening, buongiorno, buonasera, buenos dias, bonsoir, Uh, you got the point. Welcome to episode 6 of the Do You Vacay travel podcast where I talk with travel experts about amazing destinations and the tips and tools that any traveler can use. On today's episode, we talk about Costa Rica with the co-founder and CEO of NAMU Travel Group, Casey Elloran. Casey has a lot of interesting stories to share, with one being how he started his travel company, Costa Rican Vacations, back in 1998. As always, we deep dive into the destinations, his culture, and everything that can be done during a visit. Casey and his team do an excellent job at customizing travel experiences and specialize not just in Costa Rica, but also Belize, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Panama, and Colombia. If you're considering going to Costa Rica anytime soon, this episode has a ton of information for you. And without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Casey Aloran. I hope you enjoy it and thank you for listening. So, Casey, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here, my man. How are you today? Awesome. Thank you for having me. So, Casey, why don't you take a few minutes to, you know, introduce yourself and tell us how you got started, you know, with Costa Rica, with Costa Rica vacations. We talked a little bit, you know, offline. okay. That's an amazing story.
1: Yeah, well, thanks. Um, I am from rural Pennsylvania. I grew up in a tiny town with one stoplight, working at my father's hardware and sporting goods store. So I grew up in a, in a town very much dependent on tourism. Uh, I studied abroad in San Sebastian, Spain for almost a year. And that was the moment that I knew I was never coming back, you know, in the sense of I just fell in love with being abroad, new cultures, travel to new places. So I worked uh, for less than one year upon college graduation in Richmond, Virginia for a small tech company and packed my bags and convinced my recently retired parents for us to all move to Costa Rica. That was 1998. And uh, I had a, my parents had a surprise baby when my mother was 40. That's my younger sister. So she was just 15 down here. And we had like a fun Swiss family Robinson year living outside of San Jose, Costa Rica. And I, this was the early days of the internet. I knew a little bit about uh, building websites and search engine marketing. And I built a little directory called Costa Rica Pages and was selling advertising. And my favorite customers were hotels. They were just really cool, adventurous, creative class sort of people. And I just, I really hit it off with these people and a lot of them became mentors to me. I'm like, I want, I want that life, you know, this sort of road, less traveled. These were real pioneer people. A lot of them came down to Costa Rica in the 70s and 80s and just bootstrapped really cool, unique lodges. So somewhere along the line, um, my family returned to the U.S. and my little internet business was going okay. So I moved to the cheap part of town, which was near the university side of town in Costa Rica and San Jose, put an ad in the newspaper for a roommate. My roommate showed up and ended up being a 20-year business partner. And at some point, we just decided to build what became an online travel agency. I mean, that concept really was completely new at the time. But it started as an internet blog. We were just writing fun articles and, and getting free trips to hotels. And at some point, just it sort of hit us in the face. Let's make this into an agency. That did way better than planned from, this is 99. We moved We moved closer to the U.S. Embassy in Pavas uh, near San Jose, just because that was the first place with fast internet. And that's where we stayed for the next 19 years. And we went from two to four to eight to 16 to 32. And right up until the crisis, right around a hundred employees. Uh, and our model has basically remained the same for the better part of two decades. High-end, customized, personalized, trips to Costa Rica, later on most of Central America. And we just, we, you know, tailor travel uh, one-to-one with our customers through humans. You know, it's a little bit of technology, but my belief was, is, and will be that better humans make better vacations. And we just have always tried to have the very best uh, travel design team in the country. And, most of our travel planners are expats who really understand our mostly North American clientele's needs and also really understand Latin America's quirks. A lot of us are expats who are married to locals. Uh, that seems to be sort of a common bond as we people come down here, fall in love with the country, then fall in love with the local and don't leave. And, um, you know, we just love it. It's a it's a really fun business. Even twenty years on, I started as a kid, not knowing what I'm doing. Now I'm a nearly a middle aged man with with a Panamanian wife and two brown kids, and it's just it's the most fun, rewarding, frustrating, challenging thing I could possibly imagine to do. And I and it's a it's a really wonderful, rewarding uh, industry and career. Still a lot of fun.
0: Wow, what a great story! It sounds like that it was meant to be, huh? <laughs> I don't know. I mean,
1: yeah, you know, a lot of really fascinating coincidences, uh, a lot of lucky breaks, a lot of chance introductions, and, you know, The part I'm most proud of is we bootstrapped the whole thing. No loans, no outside investment, just, you know, racking up some credit card debt in the early years. But we caught the confluence of two or three really amazing waves. One of which was, I just guessed right on Costa Rica. I'd been researching Argentina, Venezuela, other countries in 98 that were doing great. And something just called me to Costa Rica. Two, really, really early on SEO and pay-per-click with Google. Really, really early. And three, boutique unique hotels were the only ones that would talk to us. So we caught that wave of boutique unique and higher end, which at the time, that was not really the predominant trend in Costa Rica. It was a lot of more just big box, boring resorts. But fortunately, the country went that direction. So we just we caught a couple lucky breaks. So in that sense, somebody was looking out for us for sure
0: wow that was that that's a great story casey Thanks. so 20 20 plus years 22 right yeah, we're, we're,
1: i think we're in year what 2021 here i mean i think officially <laughs> we began and we officially the brand is from 99 so yeah oh. we're in we're in year 20 plus now wow thought?
0: so how do you define quality in the travel industry what's quality to you oh man that's a great question um I
1: mean, for us, our measure of quality, we're always looking for one phrase: "best vacation ever." When and we get that a lot, and when when that phrase comes out, I know we did our job. Uh, I think quality means decent value. I think we've we've gotten really close in the in the, you know, maybe six months ago it was peak tourism. I think maybe we stretched price versus versus value a little bit too far there hopefully there will be a, a tiny bit of a reset with that i think quality also speaks to some sort of authentic connection it's real i think that's also something that's you know in danger as a destination uh, matures is is keeping something that feels authentic and real and hopefully still with strong local ties you know something that doesn't feel manufactured uh, or a little bit too Disney. So, the, I mean, those are the few things that strike to me with quality. Um, I don't know what's your definition.
0: Uh, I think I think I agree with you because quality to me is not necessarily the most expensive hotel, the most expensive tour, the most expensive whatever blank. I think it's about the experience because there is only so many hotels and rooms and pools that you can remember. But when someone whether he's a guide or or whoever touches your heart and, and 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 that's when you make the experience well then you don't forget it and you will tell that story and you'll remember every single detail even when you're 82.
1: That's what you're going for. You know, there are other words that we're trying to hear from customers, things like seamless, things like flawless, worry you know, worry worry free, easy, time saving. But ultimately, you're trying to have you're trying to put people in a position to have that magical tourism moment, you know, and it's hard to manufacture uh, a life changing moment, but you can at least provide opportunities for it to occur.
0: Absolutely. I agree. And then you you also want to understand the psychology of that client, right? Because sometimes, sometimes people, you know, they don't necessarily go on a vacation because they need time off from work. Maybe they're retired. Maybe they're bringing the kids, they're bringing the family. So you need to understand that that person maybe is trying to bond with the family because they haven't seen each other for the entire year. So you always have to go uh, narrow on what they need, right? And so that's my definition of quality, which I understand is also kind of like the same for you. It's the it's the experience Ultimate, of the client.
1: Ultimately, you just described, you know, what we're all trying to do, and the the core of the value proposition of any great travel agent. We are trying to get into the head of the of the traveler. Sometimes understand their needs better than they do because you don't always necessarily exactly know the right recipe. But that's the most fun part of the job. We call it the travel personality, you know, trying to really understand who you are and what this trip is with a problem this trip is trying to solve. And then like your high school best friend, where you're trying to to fix her up with the fix him or her up with the right girl or guy, what do I think is going to be right for you? Because just like people who have terrible taste in, in the opposite sex, sometimes people are not good at designing their own trips you know, or they're just afraid. And so they book the four seasons or whatever. You know, we're trying to get inside the head and get people to take a little bit of a risk so that, you know, that they might just have a vacation experience that blows their mind.
0: I agree. I agree. And, you know, I also believe that before we travel, we all need to do a little research too, because, you know, you have to be curious about the place where you're going, the people that you're going to meet. So I want to understand more about Um, Who Costa Rican people? Who the Costa Rican people are, Casey? And you've been there a long time, so I know that you probably can explain that better. So, pura vida. What does that mean to you?
1: I mean, it's so it's such a funny word because it's one of these like hakuna matata or aloha or you know I guess in South Africa lekker. Everybody has one of these words, right? Uh, And every tico defines it differently. I mean, it's hello, goodbye, it's everything. But to me, what hit me in the face in the early weeks of this crisis when my brain was going a thousand miles an hour, I think it's the Costa Rican version of sustainable tourism in the sense of when you have this perfect balance between the, the traveler and the local and the industry and the culture of the destination, and you're still preserving the ecology and the wildlife, that's the Pura Vida thing here that customers come and enjoy and don't even really understand what it is they're enjoying so much. And it's basically all sides of the tourism equation are are getting just enough without it being so out of whack. Or like, say, a Cuba where it's state-run tourism, or maybe... um, I don't know, parts of of the Gold Coast of Spain that no longer are Spain at all. Costa Rica still has this wonderful kindness where you're welcome to visit. The whole country knows hospitality. The whole country is hospitable. There's not yet sort of a sneering at the customers who've quote-unquote ruined the destination like a Barcelona You know what I mean? Where you've, you've now grown to resent the tourist. We don't have that here. There's a genuine sharing and appreciation between the customer and the local. Everyone here is in tourism and we all know it. You know, even if we're not directly working in tourism, Costa Ricans are just kind, welcoming, great hosts.
0: That's beautiful, Casey. So I took my own advice and I did some research and I learned that Costa Rica is one of the 23 countries in the world that doesn't have an army. And immediately my my thought was, wow, that's that saves you a lot of money. Sure <laughs> does. Sure does. <laughs> and, and, and so while I was thinking, I was like, well, I'm sure that the government has actually been able to invest, you know, in, in education, in tourism, in infrastructures. And, and, and I also know for a fact that it was renewable energy because it's always been the pioneer in Central America for that. So is that the recipe to become the most visited nation in Central America? I think it's a huge
1: advantage. I mean, when you think when a lot of when when if we play the name game with a lot of older North Americans and I say something like uh, El Salvador, It's very hard to not have images of a Kalashnikov and just sort of that 80s chaos period, you know, where the Cold War was getting played out in Central America. Costa Rica has somehow always avoided that. Part of it certainly was abolishing the military, but it goes way further back than that, which is Costa Rica didn't have any gold, so the Spaniards were not here raping and pillaging. We also don't have a huge indigenous population. So we've not had a lot of um, Spanish blood versus indigenous blood sort of bad juju like you'll get in a lot of other parts of uh, particularly South America. But in not having so – so one of the other theories is the Incas, the Aztecs, and a lot of the other you know, major ancient tribes, they used Central America as a land bridge. And they were always trading and moving around through here. So this was always like a trade zone so that we don't have this terrible history of war here from way back. So it's just not sort of in the cultural DNA. There's not a lot of – you don't hear about a lot of famous Costa Rican boxers, whereas you you will from Nicaragua or Panama, et cetera. We're not a fighting place. It's a loving place. And I think it goes way, way back and definitely including the abolishing of the military and the abolishing of the military allowed them to put so much money into education that this has always been a place that with incredibly high literacy rates and also tons of people here have education that that is on the periphery of tourism. Either they have a tourism specific education or they learned about ecology or wildlife or nature, they also really are celebrate their own culture and folklore and history and it's a happy history. You know, it's not some secret history like the you might have of the Mayans, you know, who still speak Quechua in Guatemala who are who are kind of resentful of the official history. Of Guatemala. So there's just a, a lot of amazing things lined up here that I think maybe your average person might not understand, like why Costa Ricans are so happy, why Pura Vida is real. And it goes back hundreds of years. But the last 50, 60, 80 years, while a lot of Latin America has had a lot of problems and strife and hunger and, and coup d'etats and regime changes, we haven't had that here. And in, in my 20 years here, we've had some presidents who are right-leaning and left-leaning, and we've had some better ones and less good ones. But we have not had any sort of chaos here, knock on wood, in, in my 20 years here. It's just been pretty steady, pretty steady uh, upward line of things getting better.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's it's a – there's my you know my wife's Panamanian I lived uh, seven years back and forth in Panama she and I are so thankful to be here this is just a country where not a lot of terrible stuff happens
0: yeah which is pretty unique for Central America because you never know right <laughs> I even
1: go I mean when you look at the Latin American map I mean where are we talking about here Panama Chile I mean really mm-hmm. that's not a lot of Places, <laughs> you know, when this given the size and scale of Central and South America, there are not a lot of great, pla- consistently great places to be.
0: So, what you're basically are saying is that the Costa Ricans are actually doing well.
1: This country has has been on fire in a, in a good way for the better part of ten years. I'm a l- moderately concerned that the economy is a little overheated. Uh, I live in a neighborhood that's got 20 cranes up right now. I think that we've got a little bit into the consumerism trap. It's a lot of people taking on car loans and credit cards and home loans for the very first time in their lives. We also have a lot of big tech down here. So the tech offshoring out of San Francisco found Costa Rica as a hub five, seven years ago. So, wages have increased pretty rapidly. There are a lot of big multinationals with presence here. Amazon's constantly hiring here. So, I'm a little concerned that we may be moving a little bit too fast, Uh, but the middle class here has never had it better.
0: Oh, well, that's great to hear. Because it's important when you travel to a destination, you know, like especially in Central America, you feel like, okay, am I am I safe to go out? Can I just go to the bar, you know, on the down the street and have a beer and or something is gonna happen to me. So it's nice to know that uh there is this culture in Costa Rica that everyone is so friendly and welcoming in this in that sense.
1: Yeah, and most and most people are gainfully employed. Um uh, so you know, we have random crime here. I don't know when the last time you were down here was, there's not a huge police presence. So people get a little put off when they see bars on the windows or razor wire, but basically you are your own police here. And, um, uh, you know, you'll hear about random violent crime or smash and grabs, but just not, you don't hear about awful stuff like a Mexico or a Honduras.
0: Okay. And, and another thing that I want to talk about, which I found very interesting is the lack of street signs until <laughs> 2012. Right? Yeah, right. So you were right there. So, I mean, how many times did you get lost or Dear how Lord. many tourists got lost until 2012? Well, like, was it like at the cow turn left
1: <laughs> prior to Google maps and Waze, If you didn't know, if you didn't already know how to get somewhere, you couldn't get there. Uh, the directions that everybody would give you were cardinal points. They would say from the old mango tree, go 200 meters north, 100 meters west. And very often that old mango tree is no longer there. So it, it was really, really tricky, particularly pre cell phone, to find, to, to meet up with anybody. It was hard. But, you know, okay. it, it made things interesting. And for tourists trying to, to drive on their own, dear Lord, that was difficult.
0: <laughs> yeah, because that's the point. Like today, you know, even if you rent a car, let's say I get to Costa Rica, I rent a car. I mean, I somehow have directions on how to get from, you know, the rental car parking lot to the hotel. Like, so I'm just trying to wrap my head around this and like if it's to that 2010, and I had to go to this lodge in the mountains. I mean, like, (laughs) how do you even, and then the other thing is you even have meters, right? Which likely I I grew up with meters and milliliters and, you know, and all of that uh, stuff. But for an American, uh, you know, it must be very, very hard. Like 200 meters means nothing to, to the normal American.
1: Difficult to impossible. And not only that, remember that the, the meters that we're using here is roughly approximating a street block. I mean. was nothing but confusing (laughs) you basically got to places through dead reckoning you know you just sort of kind of (laughs) figured it out but i mean it used to be one of the more chaotic and difficult things in costa rica was trying to get somewhere um yeah i mean this place is one giant farming community i mean it's just it's it it's a it's just simpler and you know the roads are all are we don't have a lot of straight roads here but it was also part of the adventure. I mean, you really felt like you were on an adventure. Now, with Waze and Google Maps and cell phones, uh, it's certainly a lot easier. But it's still not easy.
0: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take the I'll take the technology over <laughs> over not knowing where I'm going. Though, yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> a lot of people used to waste a lot of time, and it was very easy to miss your turn to head to a bridge that goes over a peninsula, and then you're. You're in for a two hour detour.
0: Oh, oh for sure. <laughs> oh, Lord.
1: I mean, we everybody has one of those stories where it took 10 hours to get home.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you got plenty of those. Oh, huh? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, Casey, let's dive into the destination because I mean, I know we have a lot to cover sure. here. So, Costa Rica, first of all, there are, like in you know, all Central American countries, there are different seasons wet season the dry season uh, with their own pros and cons when do you recommend that we travel to costa rica and why you
1: know one of the fascinating things of costa rica because we have two coasts and the country is so narrow is we have just about every climate you can imagine here so the caribbean side has near polar opposite weather to the pacific side the Pacific side is the part that everybody knows the best, particularly Guanacaste, the northwest region. That's where we have a, a beach airport. That's sort of—I was going to say our Cancun, but you know, it's not like we have a, a bunch of mega resorts. Uh, but that's where most of the larger resorts are because that's the driest weather. That's our dry tropical forest. So they get maybe another an extra forty-five days of perfect weather. For beachgoers, So the perfect weather, meaning very little rain, tons of sun, more or less runs from early November to Easter. That's the driest, hottest period for the Northwest Pacific side. The further south you go in Costa Rica, the more you're going to get rain. On the Caribbean side, the weather is almost the polar opposite in that the best time to visit over there is September, October. So the general rule of thumb here is when it's raining on the Pacific, it's dry on the Caribbean. The um, Cordillera Central, what do you call that in English?
0: Uh, the Cordillera Central, the you Continental said? Divide,
1: right? Oh, yeah. The Continental Divide runs right through Costa Rica. You know, that's basically the, the Appalachian trail in North America runs all the way down through Mexico and down through Central America, uh, that mountain range. And that's what divides here, the Pacific from the Atlantic. So depending on what side of that ridge you're on depends on that, that defines the prevailing weather. So one of the most amazing and fascinating things about Costa Rica is you can drive 30 minutes and have completely different weather. So you really need to pick your spots, know the kind of weather that you like. Um, even in the central Valley, which is a giant volcanic depression, there, 360 degrees around that ring of the valley is completely different weather on different sides of town. There are parts that are more like Switzerland, there are parts that are more like Ireland, there are parts that are more like Texas that are dry and hot and windy. Wow. And, I didn't even know that. Oh, it's absolutely fascinating. And I'll tell you what's really bizarre and fascinating and I just love, when you go to these places with the more extreme weather you'll see little Swiss communities. You'll see little Texan communities. It's like something in our DNA calls us to the, to the weather we prefer. And that's who shows up. The Southern zone of Costa Rica, closer to Panama, the Osa Peninsula, uh, that's wet most of the year because that is rainforest. So that has a shorter dry season, but what makes it amazing is that it's wet Um, we have also some cloud forest where you're getting up, you know, Costa Rica has some pretty serious altitude here. So there are places like Monteverde and places on the way to Arnall that where you're getting up high enough that you're permanently in, in the clouds. So depending on what kind of weather you like, you can pretty much dial it in here based on where you go. The, you know, the green season, uh, is when we get the least tourists, but I don't think it's because of the weather. That just happens to be a period when North Americans aren't traveling to escape the the cold. And that really is August, September. But that's not to say that's not a good time to visit.
0: Right. Well, and then North Americans usually go to Europe during this month. Not this year. Not this year. (laughs) (laughs) Not this year, for sure. Right. Yeah, I mean, that
1: traditionally has been a wonderful time to visit Europe because that's when it's sort of quiet and and nice to visit over there. Oh, yeah. um, I think that Costa Rica has unfortunately gotten into a bad habit of over-promoting peak season and under-promoting green season. I think a lot of European travelers have figured that out. You know, that when you pick your spots here and you know where to go, it's not like you're going to have some miserable time here uh, in August. And, the, you know, whether it's climate change or who knows what, the rainy season has become a lot less dependable here. We've had years where it just hasn't rained. But it just, again, the, the microclimates in Costa Rica are real. The weather patterns are, are, have changed over the, my 20-year time here. There's always somewhere you can go depending on the time. And for those yeah. of us, for those of us that have been here forever, our favorite time is the very beginning of rainy season and the very end of rainy season. That's it's absolutely stunning here. Like when the rain first hits these trees and everything turns green again, it's like all of a sudden uh, you got new glasses. Like everything just looks different and better. So those those are my two favorite periods. Like. Um, there's a, there's a couple like secret windows to visit here. I think November is an amazing time. I think early December is great.
0: not that secret anymore now. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think, again, you'd be amazed at these little sort of valleys when there's not a lot of tourism here, despite the fact that it's a great time to visit. And then I think right there at the beginning of rainy season, like right after the, the Easter week chaos. Those are just like great little shoulder seasons to visit when you can get good value. And also, I think that's like the best weather.
0: That's amazing. So Casey, uh, what kind of itinerary would you recommend to a couple, you know, that is looking for an adventure and experience a destination and maybe have some romance as well? You know, like a nice couple adventure vacation. What would you recommend? Are you talking about yourself, Luigi? No. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Uh, You know,
1: I'd have to ask a gazillion more questions. And the first one being, of course, how long are you coming for? But I think sort of your tried and true Costa Rica uh, itinerary is always going to be two destinations. You know, if you're coming for more than seven days, you could probably sneak in three. Or your third destination might be hanging out in the Central Valley at a cool coffee plantation hotel For at least your first or last night, maybe, maybe even two nights, the the standard itinerary that just about half the world is going to do is going to be R and all volcano and maybe Manuel Antonio also depends massively on which airport you arrive at. If you're arriving to San Jose, you're probably going to stay closer to central Pacific, meaning Haco, Haco, Hermosa, Manuel Antonio and R and all or something similar, um, the something maybe around the the, around the uh, La Paz area where we have the waterfall gardens and the Poas volcano if you arrive to Liberia which is way way north you would probably do something mountainy or hot springy up there combined with any one of the, the massive number of beaches up there the advantage of arriving to Liberia is a lot less time on the road So instead of a a two or even three hour drive in parts, you're looking more at one and and an hour and a half drives between destinations. The mistake that I see people making is often trying to cram in a third destination when they don't really need to do it. Or, or yeah. Or really not understanding um, the difference between the logistics of arriving to Liberia and the logistics of arriving to San Jose. If you're somebody that's been there, done that, and wants something a little more adventurous, I think going to the Osa Peninsula, which you would fly from San Jose down to the Osa, and then working your way back up to San Jose, that's for somebody who's traveled a little bit more and is a little bit more adventurous, i uh, I think that's a, a fantastic um, romantic getaway. And, you know, that's once-in-a-lifetime stuff. But not every, taking... but not everybody is made for the rainforest. You know, some people are scared of
0: bugs. Yep, and I'm taking some notes in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for,
1: I mean, I, just I, the Osa Peninsula for the right customer never disappoints. That's our real National Geographic. That's sort of our Kauai versus Honolulu. You know, for a lot of North Americans who really understand Hawaii well, I always try to sort of overlay those different islands against our different destinations because Costa Rica does have a freaky number of similarities to Hawaii, starting with being volcanic and, you know, uh, volcanic altitude and rainforest. There are a lot of places here, and I I have a very dear friend who lives in Hawaii. So I've been there a bunch. There are places here we, where I could convince you you're in Hawaii, no problem. They look oh, the wow. same.
0: And I, I want to go back on something that you said before. You you mentioned a coffee plantation, uh, boutique resort or something for a couple of nights. What do you do there?
1: Well, fortunately, a lot of people love coffee.
0: I do. Uh,
1: <laughs> if you're Italian, hopefully you've also had a taste of agro-tourism. Yep. Being on a working farm is awesome. Um, Smelling the soil, seeing people working a farm, tasting fresh things, fresh strawberries, fresh coffee. Coffee is such a huge part of Costa Rican culture and folklore. Um, It's just neat to, to be in a small hotel that is still completely connected to the land. And we have a nice handful of coffee oriented Finca style haciendas, you know, that really give you a strong sense of connection to the place. And if you like coffee, we got some pretty kick-ass coffee here. Um, so I think it's a, it's a great Introduction into the the real Costa Rica and also the Central Valley, which you know most good coffee is grown at altitude. It's neat to be up here in altitudes, in in a hacienda, and for people who like Latin culture, you feel like you're in some sort of of yende uh, novel. You know, you f- you feel like a patron at some sort of finca. It's awesome. Hmm. And usually, you're going to get good food, and hopefully, you like, hopefully, you like fish or you like uh, steak, because that's there's going to be local fish uh, and local beef,
0: and you're going to drink great coffee. So you sit down like family style. You Some mean? of the places, yeah. Oh man, that's amazing. That's yeah. how I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, when
1: I think of it, I, I, and I believe we're going to see more of this. I really do. Uh, because I think it's more and more what people want. I think of how, what an amazing job Italy has done with agro-tourism. And I think we need more and more of that here to preserve these working farms. And also because it's just real. It gives you, you feel like you've gone back in time. And, you know, it's, that becomes harder and harder to find.
0: Not only that, but I think that you've like as a traveler, you feel great because you know that the money that you are spending, you know, to that farm, to that agriturismo, you know, th- the owner is actually reinvesting this money in the business. He, You know, he's paying his employees, he's sending his kids to school. So if you want, that's, I don't know, it's sustainable travel. It's, if you want to, you know, give it a fancy it's, name.
1: It's but- preserving third and fourth and fifth generation farms. That might otherwise just get bulldozed for condos, you know. So yeah. there's a a really really incredible one in Colombia uh, that's owned by a family whose son is a famous Formula One driver. That's the best one I've ever seen. <clears throat> Unfortunately, it's because they're loaded. You know, it's harder hmm. and harder to do this. It's harder and harder to save the farm and there's so much pressure to bulldoze it and make way for for urban sprawl. So, we really love to promote those properties. And I think it's really crucial for Costa Rica and other Latin countries uh, to preserve that important piece of their past.
0: Yeah, I love it. Uh, That's that's let's say my way of traveling. Like you can drop me there for a week and, you know, come back seven days later and I still have the smile. (laughs) There are a lot of
1: travelers and particularly European travelers who don't even go to the beach. There's more than enough to do here without ever going to the beach. That might seem crazy for a first-time visitor here, but if you had 10 days or 14 days, you would definitely want to experience some of this stuff. Again, for those of us that have lived here forever and been there, done that at the beach, that's the stuff that we love are these cool nooks and crannies because Costa Rica is so mountainous and jagged here in the Central Valley. There are so many places that legitimately are hidden gems. You come over one ridge and down into a valley and boom, there's something you didn't even know was there. And there's just tons of that here.
0: Man, I love it. And, and you know, it's also perfect, perfect for, you know, a family vacation, right? If, if you have a kid. So can you talk a little bit also about like some, some itinerary, some ideas for someone that is listening and has the little ones?
1: Yeah, I mean, the wonderful part of Costa Rica, because it's so safe, is it's just a wonderful place to bring kids. My kids are five and seven, and we travel around here all the time. There are a lot of family-friendly friend- hotels, but there's also a massive infrastructure of rental properties. You know, there's a lot of houses, villas, condos, rentals, you name it. And for various degrees of adventure, you for people who want to have uh, – you know, a villa or a home, but might want to be inside gated walls or have access to hotel facilities. We have tons of that here. Uh, or you, you go to family-friendly hotels of which there are a, a darn good amount here that know that a huge chunk of their clientele is kids and therefore have a lot of kid-driven services. Um, there's just a, there's a, there's a lot to do here with kids. And we take for granted that. You know, one of the things that absolutely blows kids' minds here is seeing things like crocodiles and monkeys. You know, we have that stuff everywhere here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not. I don't. I don't know if I won Dad of the Year or if if they're going to be telling this to their psychologist when they're older. But I took my kids on the full blown canopy tour when they were like three and five. And they, and they did the whole damn thing. <laughs> like 15 platforms,
0: they did it all. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, 500 feet above the can, almost like too young to know better. You know what I mean? Just oh. stepping through the rainforest. So there's so much there's so much life-changing stuff here for kids to see in terms of, of seeing monkeys, seeing crocodiles, seeing toucans. You know, seeing, seeing amazing stuff in there. Not only that, if you're, if you've got little kids who aren't afraid of insects, seeing a tarantula, seeing a scorpion, you know, the stuff that you're normally only going to read about in books.
0: Yeah. It's like one of my other guests said, they, they're, they're experiencing a living classroom, right? Cause everything is real. Like that tarantula is real. You're not reading about the tarantula. You're, you're observing it right now. And it's fascinating. It's just fascinating.
1: That's I mean, um, one of Costa Rica's claims to fame as being one of the most biologically intense places on Earth, right? Because we have Caribbean and Pacific, and because this place shot out of the ocean a couple million years ago as the bridge between North and South America, we have North and South American plants, animals, et cetera, who, who cross the land bridge. Plus, we have Caribbean and Pacific stuff. There's stuff that makes no earthly sense growing here that's here. So you drive an hour and you've gone from pine trees to palm trees. So if you have kids who are in any way intellectually curious about flora or fauna or ecosystems or biology, it's an amazing classroom.
0: That's awesome. And Casey, there are people, as you know, that. You know, they go to Cancun and then they, you know, try to find the next all-inclusive resort. So I know that Costa Rica has a lot of options for this type of clientele. But my question is, is Costa Rica a true all-inclusive destination?
1: I don't think it's our specialty. We have some of it. We don't completely turn up our nose at it. Uh, If, you know, I think you'd asked me prior, like... What are mistakes? I think one of the mistakes that people make is sitting at one destination the entire time. Uh, you can do it, but I wouldn't recommend it for a first-time traveler. I'd always recommend getting off campus a little bit, You know, even if you're just doing two nights somewhere else. We have, I don't know, probably less than two hands of all-inclusives here. I don't think we do it great we have a couple that are okay i think if you're a real hardcore all inclusive traveler you can probably do better in mexico and the caribbean in terms of value for money costa rica is not a cheap destination because of all of the social benefits and education and other things here worker protections it's not a it's not a cheap place to visit That said, I think you can stay at an all-inclusive and have a decent time here. But if you were to do that, I would recommend a lot of day trips. I would recommend, you know, trying to get out from behind the gated walls. We have a couple all-inclusives that are extremely remote. There's some of those that I don't think have it there that more closely resemble a cruise ship experience than anything Costa Rican. I think there are some that are good. There are some that do a nice job, Uh, but I think you've really got to pick your spots I wouldn't recommend it for the first time traveler.
0: Yeah. And see, you said something very important because like I'm sure that there is plenty of remote uh, boutique hotels, you know, up in the mountains, three hours away from, you know, whatever store. So in that case, I get it. Like I get it why you want to have your meals there. But I would not call that experience, you know, all inclusive anyway. So, um, yeah, I I thank you for explaining that part.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ken, I totally get the customers that, that that's their thing. And there's a lot of points people out there too. They're like, look, I got a gazillion Marriott points. I'm staying, I'm going to use them. That's not what Costa Rica is great at. We are great at unique boutique. That's not to say you've got to spend a ton of money. But more experiential and real and authentic tourism is what Costa Rica might do better than any anybody else in the region right now. So, it's just a little bit of a shame if somebody is going to come down here and spend their entire time inside a, a big box mega resort and feel like they really got to know the country. Um, again, there are a handful that I think do it better than others. But anything that's over like 300 plus rooms man, at that point, it gets very hard to feel like you really knew the country.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see again. And you mentioned something really important before, you know, you you said it depends on where you fly into when you get to Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. So what I'm understanding is that there is different ways that you can go from place A to place B. Uh, So do you use like but or jumper flights? Do you drive? Like, what are the distances? Just so that so that we get a better idea.
1: Again, totally depends where you're going, and totally depends on your itinerary. You know how you've structured it. Where you can combine some flying and some driving. You can combine some private drivers or even shared transportation. The biggest mistakes that I see with people asking questions on the interwebs or not using a travel agent, people make massive logistic mistakes. Uh, because you look at the map of Costa Rica and you aren't considering the topography and the topography of this country, I have a, a South African friend who mentioned something to me I never thought of. It's like if you took an iron and you flattened out Costa Rica, this is actually a deceptively large country. We have tons and tons of mountain ranges and and craggy ridges running all over this country. So when you're looking at the map, you go, that looks close. No, it's not. You're going over a mountain range. So mm. there, there's some stuff that's deceptive So depending on where you're going, you might want to combine flying and driving. Depending on where you're going, you might want a rental car for a period. These are the logistic mistakes that I see people making where you waste massive amounts of time. So it would completely depend on your itinerary. Uh, I think that's where doing your research or talking to a a travel professional makes, makes the most sense. You don't want to waste all your time in logistics. You don't want to waste all your time driving or waiting for a flight or taking a flight when you really didn't need to. Uh, so I think it, it all, it all depends on the structure of the itinerary and it depends also massively on which airport you're arriving at. Some people like long drives and seeing a country. Some people hate it. You know, I, I like driving, but I didn't like driving when my kids were one in three. Yeah. (laughs) It It also depends who's riding in the back.
0: True. And, you know, like even if you like driving and you have, let's say, a three and a half hour drive, I mean, I can always come back to you and say, hey, Casey, can we throw in something so that we can make it? Like an adventure day, maybe we can stop to a local restaurant, and maybe they have a they have a horse farm or maybe there is a zip lining tour that I can do on the way. You like nailed, there is so that. many ways that you can do it. You nailed so,
1: it. So we with some of, we do a lot of private transportation, because particularly for families, some of them like I am not driving, right? Uh, so there are some of the longer drives that we call transfer tours, where there's always at least one, sometimes two decent stops for some sort of scenic something. And that's another fun thing is there's, depending on the route you're taking here, you know, there's a lot of funny little roadside attractions, you know, where you can go roll your own cigar or, you know, there will be a refuge that has, that has some rescued big cats or, or, um, you know, some, some exotic birds. There's some, there's some fun roadside stuff here and you can always maybe try a, a weird local fruit, And we have tons of weird local fruits here, Um, you know, a lot that I don't even know the names. So there's always something to be done if with a little bit of of prior planning.
0: I agree 100 percent. And Casey, what is the number one tip that you would say, you know, someone wants to enjoy Costa Rica? What is the number one tip to enjoy it?
1: Number one, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I think it keeps coming back to this notion of pacing. There's, I see two extremes. One, people who try to stuff too much into a short trip. If it's, if it's your typical seven night trip, I think two destinations is sufficient. And then the other would be, don't do just one thing. You know, if you can, if you, I'm a firm believer that when you break a trip into two, you get two memories, not one. And it almost makes the trip seem longer. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. you 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 get two memories instead of one memory, and that trip it just gives more texture to a trip. And sometimes you just you want to get it move again. The other side of it is, I really uh, coming out of this crisis, the number one thing I really hope happens per, to stressed out North American travelers come for longer. Don't come for six nights. Don't come down for five nights. I keep I see people coming for shorter and shorter stays. Come down for ten nights. Come down for eight nights. You can work from here. You can bring your laptop. There's fast internet. You know, you can take one day and and tell your boss you're working remotely. I would love to see people stay a little bit longer so that they can get that third destination in, so that they, they could do the coffee plantation thing instead of ripping straight to the beach. You know, so, I think it's all about pacing your trip. Don't be so boring that you only do one thing. Don't be so overeager that you're trying to cram more fun into one trip. and if you're trying to cram, you probably should have stayed longer
0: yeah it it's all about you know it's the it's the quantity versus the versus the quality, right?
1: yeah, I mean, that's the tragedy of we you know we do a decent bit of business with Europe, we do a decent bit of business with Canada. You see all these other cultures that really slow down and enjoy their vacations. You know, you, we see Spaniards that come down for 14 days. Now, granted, they're taking a long flight to get here. But I really hope that coming out of this crisis, if people are questioning their existence a little bit, you can take a longer vacation. You can switch off days and have mom work one day and dad work the next day. I do that with my wife here all the time. It's not perfect. But it beats the heck out of going somewhere for five nights and coming home tired.
0: I agree. And then you make your investment even more worth it, right? I mean, you already bought the flights. You already invested so much money into the vacation. I mean, another day or two is not actually is actually just going to improve the the, the experience and your self-being too. Like you're actually enjoying it. You get to slow
1: this rush. You get to slow down. You get a chance to forget about work. It takes time. It takes time to get into vacation mode. Particularly if you're if you're high I mean this is the sad this is the sad truth, right? But like why do North American travelers tend to be such higher ticket? They don't have as much time. They're trying to cram more into a briefer period of time. You know, so if if we slowed down and spent the same budget over 10 days and and snuck in one working day there, around day five or six is when your heartbeat finally slows down a little bit and you start to finally be on vacation. You start to finally de-stress and look around and enjoy your kids again. That would be my one hope you know, for a for a trend that comes out of this is that North American travelers start to travel a little bit more like Europeans and Canadians.
0: I love it, Casey, and I agree. Cause you know, like personally, the best memories that I have about travel is whenever time I I actually stopped and that thing happened to me. But if I had something if I would have had something planned for that day or for that moment for that hour, that thing would have never happened. And so I would now have that memory. Completely and, agree. And, Get and that thing can be even a chat, you know, with a bartender. It doesn't have to be, you know, an helicopter, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Yep. I'm talking about a connection that you make That's with it. someone there.
1: That's it. That's what it's all about. And if you're not if you're not slowing down to the point where you're where your vacation became a little bit more of a sojourn, you know, and a little bit more meditative Then those magic moments don't have a, the chance to show up. So, you know, again, maybe it's a impossible wish. I'm a type A person. I feel guilty every time I, I book a, a vacation. I have a tough time getting time off. But when I do, when, when we slow down and I take a 10 dayer or a two weeker, even if I'm randomly working throughout, even if my wife has to randomly work throughout, you all of a sudden realize like how amazing it was when you were young and foolish and had nothing but time and took a one-month backpacking trip. Those things are amazing and transformative, and there's no reason we can't have them now as adults if you just structure them a little bit differently and a little bit more intelligently. And now if the whole world is being forced to work from home and work remotely, you can work on vacation too
0: love it. I love it. So, Casey, I want to learn I want to learn a little bit about Costa Rican vacations because sounds like that, you know, it's the perfect match for not just Costa Rica, but all of the things that I love about travel, you're, you're just mentioning it. So, I want to learn more about it. So, when someone books with Costa Rican vacations, what is the experience that they can expect?
1: Well, the first thing is you can expect local expert advice from people who actually live, work, and play here. I mean, our, our team first requirement is you have to be absolutely passionate about travel. We love this stuff. So even right now, when the hotels are half shut down and we don't know when officially the country's reopening, what we are all doing is we are traveling again. You know, we love to go to these hotels. We love to take the tours. We love eating at the restaurants. I mean, just frankly, we live for the shit. This is what we do. So that's the first thing is you're going to talk to somebody who is not dabbling in this profession this this is our passion second 100% personalized zero cookie cutter trips every single trip we make is attempting to find you know to suss out someone's travel personality and match them with the perfect trip like we're trying to fix you up with a girl we think you might marry you know we're we're trying to really get inside the heads of our travelers and recommend something to them that might be a little bit of a stretch, you know, that might be a tiny risk that they wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable doing on their own. So making them feel safe to take a, a, a little bit of a bold move. And ultimately we're trying to make that travel fit them like a tailored suit. And, and, you know, it, sometimes it's easier for someone on the outside to really understand your needs better than your own. That's what we're trying to figure out is what's, what's the problem this trip's trying to solve? Um, You know, and then I guess the other thing is support, you know, once, once you have booked your trip, uh, we're here before, during, and after. So any changes, any modifications, God forbid, anything that goes wrong, uh, I mean, that's the massive value add of using an agent versus, say, a giant OTA. We take this stuff personally. You know, if something goes wrong or you're disappointed or you feel mistreated somewhere, we're going to get on the horn and make noise. And the benefit of our 20 years of experience is these hotels look at us like a partner. You know, we're, we're a key part of their business. So you complaining might not be the same as us complaining. Uh, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, I think, you know, this is somebody who knows the industry. I, I believe there are good guys and bad guys in the industry. Always. Uh, always. We try to align ourselves with the good guys and we like to believe we're among the good guys. So we are always trying to promote and work with businesses that are small and midsize that we believe share values and that share beliefs. And there's just something magical that happens when you match a traveler with the right destinations and properties and experiences where you know there's going to be shared values and shared beliefs. Those are the vacation experiences that resonate for a lifetime because really, this is a people-driven business, right? I mean, hospitality is about people. And when you put a certain kind of person with their kind of people in another country it's magical and the in the polar opposite's true if you're telling me you're a, a lifetime cruiser you know i'm a i'm a triple centurion awards holder with carnival and then i'm going to throw you at a coffee plantation with eight rooms you, you, you <laughs> might hate it
0: <laughs> probably might, not going to work
1: and you might hate me <laughs> Right. So it's different strokes for different folks. There's reasons there's menus at restaurants. So that's really our value proposition is we're trying to put the right people with the right people. That's it in a nutshell.
0: That's beautiful, Casey. Well, thank you. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know, it, it sounds, you know, like, well, of course, but no, no, it's not of course. <laughs> this is something super, super important. Like, and, and when you mentioned the support, I mean, the support is everything. Not just the support if something goes wrong, but the support is if I want to make this special thing, if I want to do it. Like, for instance, when I when I was selling travel, uh, I remember talking to this couple and, you know, we worked on this itinerary like for months. Right. And so I kind of got to know more the psychology of this trip and things start, you know, op- the client starts opening up when that happens. It's amazing because you can really deliver A ton of value and so they wanted to book this tour uh because he wanted to have a special experience and it was a quite of an expensive tour into a cave and so i said to him look there is a waterfall you know on this mountain i can hook you up with the owner and we can have a private lunch just for you two right there You know, we'll have a picnic lunch. You have the waterfall for the entire afternoon. We'll leave you radio. So just in case, you know, there is an animal or Jaguar, whatever. He loved it. They loved it. They loved it. But he didn't know. He didn't even know that that waterfall existed. He didn't even know that you could rent a waterfall. What do you rent a waterfall, by the way? Right. So that's the value of you know, booking travel with people like you, like we Costa Rican vacations. You know the ins and out. Like you know everything.
1: There's always secrets. There's always inside access. There's always you know the 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 bone marrow uh, dish that's not on the menu that the chef. Yep. And that that's who we pride ourselves in being. And you know, for our best planners who are the most experienced, who've been doing this for ten plus years, who have the uber confidence to say. Luigi, I know you're telling me you want this, telling you, just go with me on this. I think I know you, we've talked enough. This is the thing you want. And you're not going to get that from TripAdvisor reviews. I think TripAdvisor has ruined people where they're just like, oh, that one's the best. And you know how the gamification of this whole world of reviews too. Yeah. Like Yelp. Oh my goodness. I mean, (laughs) best, best, best is a very subjective term. Best for what? And Like you said, when you get in the heads of these travelers and you, and you find out how precious some of these moments are, when you have, when you have a a guest who's coming because their mom has cancer and this is their last trip together, you know, or the dad who's been separated from his kids and this is his first big trip with the kids again. You know, there's, we hear these stories all the time, dude. And if you don't take these, if you don't take planning that trip seriously, you're not doing your job. You know, I always like to use an image with new people that come on the team of a person who's crying outside of their house. That's clearly just burned down and they're holding their, their photo album. You know, what do people run into burning buildings and save their pictures? These are the memories. And some of our greatest memories are formed on vacations and travel. I know mine were, I'm getting a little misty, you know, thinking about some of the trips that I had as a kid with my parents and making those memories is a wonderful profession and it's something that we don't take lightly. And when it's done right, you get to form a lifelong connection with that traveler too. And some of our favorite customers are best friends with their travel planners. You know, where we go and visit them in the States, they've been down here on their 10th trip with us because you know, those memories and those bonds that you have of a once-in-a-lifetime trip, when it, when it goes right, that stuff's burned into your memory.
0: You said it before, people. It's all about people.
1: That's the industry we're in. And, and it's some of the most fun and wonderful and joie de vivre people you'll ever meet who decide to call this industry a profession because it's hard work, man you know there's no holidays there's no christmas and easter that's when we're working hard uh, in the middle of this virus you know when the the country was on lockdown and we weren't supposed to be going to work that's when we were working overtime you know th- it's people who love this industry ultimately they love people
0: i agree So Casey, I think, you know, I was going to ask you what's really important for you and your company, but you already answered pretty much, right? (laughs) You already told me it's the customer.
1: Yeah, we love our customers and I don't want to uh, uh, sound like too much of a dick here, but in the early days of the crisis, you saw a lot of customer service and a lot of fancy and pretty words get tossed out the window, you know, a lot of, a lot of big brand names, made it very clear to their customer, sorry, no refunds, you know, and I understand that because the early days of the, of the chaos, it was like a bank run and there, there certainly was not enough money in the world to refund every customer, but we did our darndest to figure out how to separate people who were just panicking from people who really needed the money from, you know it's it's awful yeah the entire industry became an insurance company with with one massive claim um but i'd like to think that we held on to our integrity in the hardest moments and it was really disappointing to me to see a lot of of companies who really used a lot of pretty flowery language in their brochures who seemed mm-hmm. to forget about the customer you know and and when travel comes back and we're all optimists in this industry. We all believe that people are gonna travel again and soon. It's gonna be fascinating to see some of these companies who torched their goodwill in the first few days.
0: Hmm. It's gonna be interesting to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's my mind was a little blown, particularly from some of the airlines and whatnot, of yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know that was it. Yeah, sorry. Talk corporate talk here's our here's our lawyer's phone number. And a lot of a lot of places went that route, and it will not shock you in the least that the companies down here who did their best to stand up for the customer were the smallest and least able to pay. Those were the ones who did the right thing first.
0: It doesn't surprise me.
1: You know, it was the tiny guy with three vans. It was the tour operator with four guides. Those were the first ones to say, yeah, I'll, I'll help you get your customers some money back. You know, it,
0: they, can, they can relate. They can relate.
1: They get it. Whereas the big corporate behemoths, the first thing they do, they start getting run by the CFO and the lawyer. And it stinks, man. It stinks. And that's why I I encourage anybody always. You know you buy local you buy small these are the people who actually care and there was no moment more obvious to me you know you're as you grow up in business in life it's the little guy who actually cared everybody else it was just pretty words in the brochure
0: yeah so casey back to costa rica and the travelers what are some of the experiences that travelers really get excited about? Maybe it's their first time or maybe maybe it's their 10th trip. What do they get excited about?
1: I think anything off the beaten path into the rainforest. The, when you start to edge more towards serious adventure versus light adventure. So... You know, in addition to beaches and volcanoes and rainforest, we also have world-class rafting here. We have some really, really neat rafting-oriented tent camps, high-end eco lodges that are right on the riverbanks, places where you can uh, zip line to your room. You know, just really, really cool, funky stuff for people who are slightly more adventurous. We have some treehouse hotels. Uh, the sort of the new trend here is more and more high end tent camps.
0: The glamping.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't you love how we smash these words together like? <laughs> but, but we have more and more of this, and, and and what I think is just amazing, you know, as as destinations and as the industry matures and as we have a million YouTube channels and a million websites, we have more and more thematically specific properties, meaning. You know, stuff that's specific for surfers, stuff that's specific for yoga fanatics, um, more and more spiritual and wellness-oriented stuff. So what I've really enjoyed seeing as the industry here has evolved is we've gone from being more of a specialist to more – I'm sorry, more of a generalist to more and more of a specialist. So if you have a very specific yen, a very specific want on a trip – there are more and more and more specific destinations and specific lodging options to scratch that itch. So I think that's sort of the new thing in general in tourism, and definitely in Costa Rica, is more and more specified uh, solutions to specified desires.
0: And and when it comes to you know places or tours, I mean you you probably have seen some patterns over 20 plus years. What What is it that surprises people the most about Costa Rica?
1: So it always comes back to one thing. It's the people. I think it's all, it's still surprising to people. I mean, Costa Rica's probably had 25, 30 years of mainstream success. So I think it's still surprising to a lot of travelers particularly when you get outside the Central Valley, I mean, you realize this is a country of barely 5 million people. The vast majority of that population is in this Central Valley. The minute you get outside the city, even 20, 20 minutes, there's still an authenticity, a genuineness, a humanity that that's what gets people every time. It's the people, it's the people, it's the people. That's what makes this place unique. I've traveled all over Latin America. I did my time in Panama. There's a lot of places that have the same stuff. It's physically that, I mean, the topography is the same. There's places with better beaches. There are countries with a lot more islands and island culture. What still makes Costa Rica the spot, it's the people. And that's what's, I think, still surprising to a lot of people is all these years on, nope, you're not too late. The people aren't ruined here. They're not jaded on tourists yet. It's still the people.
0: I love it. That that's exactly what makes you know a destination unique is the people. Like as an Italian, the, the 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 thing that I hear the most, besides the food, right? Because everyone is like, oh my gosh, the food was amazing. But um not many Italians, as you might know, speak English or actually can articulate three sentences. Right. And, and so when I see North Americans, you know, going to Italy and I'm like, Oh gosh, they're going there. Nobody speaks English. I wonder how they'll do it. And then when they come back and I talk to them, that's exactly what they're telling me. Number one, they say the food. <laughs> and then the food, the wine, etc. And number two, they say the people.
1: Luigi, I had what I've had so many magical travel experiences in my life. And one of those was with my parents when they came to visit me when I was studying abroad in Spain. So, we with my, geez, 10-year-old sister went from Spain all the way through France and over to uh, Northwest Italy. So like Genoa, Ventimiglia, that sort of area. Oh, yes. People were so amazing to us. And we ate at a couple tiny restaurants. Uh, I had a blast in Genoa. I had a blast in Bologna, and it it was. We still talk about some of the meals, and it. Yeah, the food was great, but it was the hospitality. You know, Mm -hmm. my 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 classic. uh, You know. Caricature of a North American father attempting to, you know, cobble together five words of Italian and (laughs) and how just incredibly generous and kind everybody was to us there. And we just, we still talk about it. Specific meals.
0: Did they offer you greppa?
1: Oh my god! I mean, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, you know, classic. Every one of these meals turned into three hours, and way more, yes. you know, and way more food than we can possibly eat, and attempting to communicate between English, Spanish, and Italian. We just th- those are the moments, and and if you get off the beaten path in Costa Rica, there's still a million opportunities for that here, and it's not fake and it's not forced, and that's still what makes the Pura Vida magic. That 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 is the heart of of what drives tourism here.
0: Whoa, you just drop a bomb here, Kizzy. <laughs> <laughs> I love this sentence that you just said. <laughs> Man, that was powerful. <laughs> uh, I have another question. Actually, I have a few more. Oh, but boy, um, let's do it. <laughs> uh, so, what is the most absurd request that you ever? Received from a guest. I'm hey, curious about come that. Come on. People well, can really go everywhere. Come
1: on, we could talk all day. Um, well, first, everybody thinks it's an island, right? So that's that's always the hilarious one. We get a, a, at least one island comment per year. Uh, a, a lot of people are pretty demanding about their television. You know, some folks are like, am I going to get Channel 10? More like, what's Channel 10? <laughs> this was more of the era of like, I need to see... Um, I don't know, you know, any, any must see television, I guess your reality TV stuff (laughs) or the big finale of The Bachelor. I don't know. So it's sad sometimes how television driven some requests are. Uh, You know, I need to see who gets the final rose of The Bachelor. That's the stuff that sort of breaks your heart, you know, because a lot, a lot of hotels in Costa Rica went out of their way to not have televisions. And unfortunately, a lot ended up caving because you get, really angry people. Oh, like,
0: I know. You I'm, have
1: to. Yeah. I'm addicted to to this TV. Yep. Uh I think the probably the other common absurd request is like, I need you to get all the bugs out of my room now from people who are in <laughs> in a hardcore <laughs> yeah. From people who are in a hardcore rainforest resort. You know, or they're in some place that like yeah. when you when you start getting into the real jungle here, there's no fighting it. Like if the jungle, if, if all the ants decide to come through the hotel that day, they're coming through that day, you know, and, and, and they'll be in and they'll be out.
0: They were there before you.
1: Well, I mean, it's just (laughs) when, when you really want to do ecotourism, you've got to expect some eco and, and, you know, it's primarily big city folks. It's primarily, you know, and I'll even, I'll call them out. It's primarily Manhattanites who seem to really get freaked out by bugs. Hmm. Um, But if you go into the rainforest, you're going to see a rhinoceros beetle or some bug the size of your hand that might freak you out a little bit. But I mean, it's not like it's going to attack you.
0: Yeah. There is some bugs on my pillow or we went out for dinner. We came back. There were all bugs all over the bed. Right? Yeah, I mean, you've you've
1: sold (laughs) Belize. I mean, unless, unless you want us to DDT your room every night, you might see a bug. Yeah,
0: which of kills the eco experience right oh um, <laughs> yeah so i
1: think that television and bugs are probably the two more absurd requests we get in terms of like i came to the rainforest could you please turn the rainforest off for today because i don't like you know or um i'm i'm at a remote r- mountain resort but i need to see the champions league final Whatever um, you know, it's it's television and bugs. I would say are the two common ones. Were that are kind of exhausting.
0: There was a holler monkey outside my window all night. I didn't sleep. You know, it's funny. <laughs> um, there,
1: there was a there was a hotel that had um, open air showers where you would go out onto your like your your deck and that would be your shower, almost like a South African tent camp sort of thing. But what was happening is people would go out there at night and the howler monkey be waiting for them. So they had to, they had to screen them in because so many people got freaked out, which is understandable. I mean, they're big.
0: (laughs) And if you, and if you, by the way, if you never heard the sound of a holler monkey, you don't think it's a monkey it's intimidating
1: i mean by by, you know by design it's a scary sound so just imagine you're rolling out to your outdoor bathroom at one in the morning and there's there's somebody out there
0: (laughs) yep (laughs) oh it freaked me out the first time that i heard it i mean i didn't know the sound i mean i i heard it over youtube or a video like that but when you actually are there and you hear it behind your back you think that there is something like three feet away from you that is going to hunt you now they're
1: they're amazing man and you know they'll they'll if you take a canal tour where you're on a little when you're in a small boat going through the canals of the that's mostly on the Caribbean side of the country but anywhere there's sort of mangroves uh they'll also come way out on a bench or way out on a branch and urinate in your direction
0: oh yeah and they're fast
1: and, yeah I mean they're 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 marking territory dude anyway they're they're hilarious we have mul- yep. multiple species of monkeys here, but they're, you know, they're so much bigger than everybody else and so much more human looking. And they're fascinating.
0: <laughs> Amazing stories when you yeah. travel. Yeah. So, because I know that uh, at least in Florida and all over the world, you know, COVID, um, I know that some destinations are opening up from COVID, which I think is great. Can't wait. And is Costa Rica open or opening soon for travelers? We're you know.
1: all holding our breath to know for sure. The theoretical date right now that they've given us is June 15th. It's not really clear if that date is going to hold or not. It's the speculation the industry is all over the map. So I'm very hesitant to say that I believe it's going to be X. I'm not sure. I would say coin toss that the June 15th date is going to hold. Um, The the airport's still getting all the new protocols in place. The airlines are trying to figure out routes and whatnot. They're all restructuring financially. So there's tons up in the air. There's tons of unknowns. Um, I'd like to believe we're going to see travelers in July. July's a really important month to us. A lot of the hotels are reopening. So a, a good handful of hotels have reopened for local tourism. For now, there is a massive um, rescue plan being debated right now in the halls of government regarding how to help these these hoteliers uh, stay solvent. So there's still a lot of unknowns. Uh, people keep asking me, "Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic?" I'm determined. You know, and most of my friends that are have been in this industry for as long as we have, we're determined. We, you know, we're going to find a way through this. But the gigantic unknown that is still limiting massive amounts of of reservations uh, right now is we don't technically know exactly when we're all open again. So I would expect that next week we would probably have another announcement from the president. I would say coin toss on whether he's saying, yep, we're opening June 15th, but light or not, no one knows. Um, But, you know, if we're going to push this thing out to September or October, it's going to be really, really hard on the hotels.
0: I believe so. Yeah. So so let me ask you this then. You mentioned July before, but, you know, there is also you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, 2021, I mean, we're going to travel at some point. So I'm just asking, how soon can people make reservation with you if they want to visit Costa Rica?
1: We are selling vacations, you know, right now, November, December, January, without any any uh, concerns at all. You know, okay, for, good. for dates that are closer, for dates that are like your, your July, August, Septembers, we're just asking people, strongly suggesting to people to buy trip insurance. Um, you know, you just want to hedge your bet. We are being as flexible as we possibly can be regarding rebookings. You know, we can always let people reschedule. We're, right. we're, we're freezing rates with hotels so they can reschedule at the same price. We're doing everything that we possibly know to reduce people's sense of risk on this thing. But the bottom line is for June, July, August arrivals, we're not sure yet. There's no knowing until they announce the date for your November, December, January, February peak seasony travel. Well, geez, if, if we're not open for sure, then the entire industry's eviscerated. So we're banking on, we will be traveling again from November onward. That is, that is, I would say with a very high degree of certainty that when it's cold in North America, you're going to be tra- be able to travel here with confidence again no problem it's <laughs> people will drive <laughs> yeah man come on you're not going to stop them and and you know given that the cruise industry is going to have a really hard comeback given that probably a lot of tropical tourism to southeast asia is going to be very slow to return from north americans probably your tra- your travel to western europe particularly populous zones people are going to think twice about that. Costa Rica could, Central America, uh, Latin America could have an amazing couple of years here. We just need to be open. We need to be ready. We need to be safe and we need the flight protocols to be in place. We will see, or we, you know, the world doesn't know yet. Are we going to have our temperature or even our blood taken at the airport? We don't know yet, but I believe that the, there is a certain type of traveler for whom this is such an important part of their lives. They're not going to stop traveling. You can't stop it. I agree. I don't know about you. I'm getting itchy. I want to book a trip.
0: <laughs> same here. Same here. You know, we live in paradise, but we still want to travel. <laughs> do, you, do you have any travel plans on the horizon? Uh, not yet, but I'm thinking about end of October, you know, just to just to keep it safe in that sense. And where might you go? Uh, it'll probably be domestically for now. OK.
1: Do you so, have, do you have any um, I- any urge to get back to Italy?
0: not really i actually had my parents coming over here uh well it was before covid so end of january so they spent two weeks here so i really don't have to go back okay um but uh you know i've been in florida for two and a half years now and i haven't traveled much so i feel like the states in general has so much to offer too but i i want to travel you know kind of like nearby i also got a two-year-old so you know it's it My situation is a little different, Yeah, Uh, but otherwise if it, you know, if it was free, like I I don't care, (laughs) I would go anywhere.
1: (laughs) Do you have anything on your short list with your wife in terms of regional tourism?
0: Um, Not really. We're just thinking the Keys maybe. Okay. Um, But then internationally, I do want to visit Costa Rica. Come on down. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do Costa Rica and Nicaragua together. Have you been to Charleston, (laughs) South Carolina? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's amazing. And the neat. It's a it's a nice, neat, foody little town. I love it. I loved it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's when you talk about a model for sticking to your guns, you know, like it,
0: <laughs> literally, <right>? yeah,
1: <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, and figuratively, yeah. It's also a cool town. You know, we have a handful of those places in the U.S. that are that are very pure and true to their roots and real. You know, and that's
0: definitely one of them. Yeah. So Casey, now it's time for some rapid fire question. Are oh man. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. So what's the first country you ever visited?
1: I believe it was Aruba.
0: Aruba. Okay.
1: Yeah. My, but, with my parents and my high school girlfriend.
0: What's your favorite place that you traveled to and why?
1: Favorite place ever?
0: Ever. Oh man. That's one. That's impossible.
1: I'm going to say Guatemala anyway. I, I, there's just something about Guatemala that touches my spirit animal. You know, there's just something about that place. It's, it's totally unique. And as someone who still believes he's a a bit of a risk-taking traveler at heart, I kind of like, there's a little bit of a sense of danger there. And there's just something about the place, man. There's something about it. It's, it's. For anybody that's been to Latin America but hasn't been there, that's the one that you got to go to next.
0: Mm-hmm. If you could have a free round trip flight anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? <clears throat>
1: Japan. I've never been anywhere even close to that far away. You know, the farthest that distance that I've been is Hawaii. For some, there's something about that culture and those people that just fascinate me, like they're the closest thing to aliens on Earth. <laughs> and I would, and I would, I would like to see all of the countryside Japan, you know, with the, with the bathhouses and the, the five hour meals and the sumo wrestling. And then I would also be fascinated to see, uh, to go into the future and see Tokyo. Hmm. And now that I, I freaking love Japanese food. Oh, it's amazing. And back to culture and purity and authenticity, those people ain't going to change. And you got to respect that. They're not changing for anybody,
0: you know, and that
1: just fascinates me.
0: Awesome. What's your favorite phone app when, when you travel?
1: Probably Waze. You Waze? Know, even even it, internationally? Even though it overheats my phone. Um, <laughs> you know, I try to stay off my phone when I'm traveling yeah otherwise okay. I, otherwise I work i'm I'm not that heavy phone dependent on apps when i'm when I'm traveling uh certainly I like my Google maps I like to see google places and and read stuff pretty quickly if there is any sort of local version of open table uh, I like to make my restaurant reservations in advance and I like to do it on the internet but I'm not I, I'm not a hardcore addicted to my phone when I travel. I do enjoy using Google Maps and downloading the offline maps so I can walk around places.
0: Okay. And and, well, not,
1: that- and not be staring at a map looking like an idiot. You know, if you're looking <laughs> and if you're looking back in the old days when you whipped out the the one with yeah. the one meter wide map in public, like you were just a gypsy target,
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I, I'm a tourist. I got mine. Right. I go please, the camera. Yeah, please rob me right <laughs> now. It. But I
1: think peeking down at your phone with an with a downloaded Google map Walking is a pretty awesome hack.
0: It is. It yeah. is indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so outside the norm, so like passports and phones. Uh, what's one item that you couldn't travel without?
1: Uh, I like to travel with one exercise band. My wife thinks I'm an idiot, but I don't. I don't like having to be obsessed with. Does the hotel have a gym or whatever? I'm not some fitness psychopath but I like to be able to do a little, a little bit of exercise when I'm traveling and having a exercise band that I can stick in the door, I think is is a nice thing to have. And it weighs nothing. And the other one that my wife gets annoyed with is I like packing cubes because hmm. I can't stand when I can't find my things on travel because my wife has lumped everything into one suitcase. So I like to at least know that that i've got my shorts separated from my socks and then it's also a way for me to like rem- it's also a way for me to, for me to remember things
0: it's uh, also a way to to have a little win right tiny victory <laughs> because i i mean when i
1: get somewhere and my wife's repacked our bag and then i'm i have no underwear i'm furious so i like to pack my own stuff and if i can't if i'm not allowed to have my own bag at least i have my packing cubes
0: yeah, you know it's interesting. Before I was American, and and I was coming to the U.S. You know, every time the the police at the airport were like, "Did you pack your bag?" I'm like, mm, "Yep," yeah, but it's not true. She packed it. Right. So this is the tiny, the tiny,
1: the tiny victories that we that we enjoy as men in married life. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a ton of travel gadgets. I certainly like to know I've got my charger. I like to know I have my headphones. Uh, but aside from having my charger, my headphones and my Kindle, I I absolutely love my Kindle. I love having a thousand books in my hand. That's not my phone. You know, that's not an iPad. Mm -hmm. So I've, I think I'm on my fifth or sixth Kindle now. I love that device. I love being able to highlight and take notes. I love, you know, being able to toggle between books, Mm -hmm. but I don't have a ton of travel gadgets, man. I really don't like travel. That's great. That's okay. I like to travel light. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And throughout your travels, what was the best thing that you ever witnessed? Come on, man.
1: Uh, I do not like to talk on airplanes because once you get stuck in one bad conversation, you swear never again. But I had an air, I had a flight conversation once with a hippie dude who was living in an intentional community in Costa Rica that changed my life and I will never forget it. And it was all bonding on the fact that we were in that last seat that's next to the toilet that you can't believe that they crammed that seat back there where the seats don't recline and you get to, you you get that nice (laughs) wafting smell of chemicals and bowel movements, you know, for the three hour flight.
0: You also smelled that coffee all the time. Oh my like, God. It's back there. <laughs>
1: and that, I mean, I've had a gazillion magical transformational travel experiences in my life. I just recently had one in New York City with a couple dear friends. But that flight and that conversation where this kid was sharing me with his life philosophy and how he found this intentional community. And this kid was a real philosopher. And at that moment I shared with him my philosophy on business and life and how, you know, I I found my calling. To be a better person through work, and it was a it was a transformational travel experience. Where by the end of the, our combo, we had multiple people in multiple rows chiming in, and it all just occurred because he got me to open up when normally that is not my my tendency on a flight, and I'll remember that kid for the rest of my life.
0: Awesome. So Kizzy, I asked you a lot of questions and I know that. Sorry. I love talking to you. So now it's time for you to ask a question and maybe direct it to the audience. What is your question of the day?
1: My question would be back to my my question earlier is why have you accepted two weeks as the vacation amount that you've been prescribed in life? Why not travel longer? And are you ready to travel to be more of a digital nomad? And, and if now we're all being forced to work from home, why can't home be other places? You know, so I'd I'd like to know from the audience of like what's holding you back? You know, what's what's limiting you from being a, a bit more of a wanderer? You know, can't we get back to that wanderlust we had in our twenties and whatnot when we didn't know any better and we had no money? What's preventing us from doing that? in our late thirties and early forties, instead of buying huge homes and, and buying fancy cars, why are we not doing it? You know, and and what would it take to do it? Wow. I'm impressed. That's
0: a really, really good question.
1: Yeah. I mean, why are, why are we not doing it? Why, why did we all accept two week vacation? I don't get it.
0: Why why feed in, right? (laughs) We
1: don't have to anymore. Yeah, we don't have to. And I and I hope coming out of this, you know, 9 week long forced meditation that we've all, we've all been prescribed <laughs> without our choice that we might start to question some of the things that we do in life. I certainly have. I, and one of I want to travel more. You know, I I think travel tendencies are are going to change. And I really hope this is one of those trends that changes.
0: I love it, Casey. I agree. I agree. Hey, I know that we're wrapping up. Um, Where can people connect with you and learn more about Costa Rican vacations?
1: I'd suggest anybody that wants to connect with me personally, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I love talking to people. I love sharing notes. I love meeting new people. So if anybody wants to look me up and and, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, I'd be more than happy to converse via email or. Zoom or Skype or whatever, our holding company, we operate a lot of different brands is namutravel.com. We offer vacations to multiple destinations in multiple regions. Uh, We cover most of Central America, a little bit of South America. Uh, But I would say connect with me personally, Casey Holleran. There aren't that many of us. I think there's only two or three Casey Holleran. So look me up on LinkedIn and you'll see that at least for now, until they get rid of me, I'm the CEO of the Namu Travel Group.
0: So <laughs> until they get rid of yeah <laughs> until they, if there's,
1: if there's some sort of board that I don't know about uh, but yeah look me up connect with me on LinkedIn I love meeting new people and I'd, I'd love to know who who's out there in your audience that, that may have been listening to us today
0: awesome awesome and then I'll put a link in the show notes so people will know how to connect with you and just click and go there great awesome Th- Casey thank you so much I learned so much about Costa Rica today now I just have to go
1: hey <laughs> come on down man I'd love to see you
0: Will do. Thank you so much, Casey. Have a great day. You too, Luigi. And that was Casey Aldran, ladies and gents. I don't know about you, but I'm so happy to do this podcast because I get the chance to talk to people like Casey with true experts that are so knowledgeable in their craft. They love travel the same way I do. By the way, let me know what your biggest takeaway was on this episode. I really want to hear from you. You can email me at luigi, l-u-i-g-i, luigi, at duuvak.com. Also jump on Instagram at duuvak to respond to Casey's question of the day. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay safe and keep travel on your mind. Ciao!